Hello, it's Catherine Colas here from simplyhormones.com and I'm here today to talk to Dr. Nigel Eccles about infrared thermal imaging for the early detection of breast cancer. First of all, I'll give you a brief um, biography of Dr. Eccles um, so you can see all the different things he's done. Following his double doctorates in medicine and pharmacology, Dr. Eccles has worked as a general and naturopathic physician with special interest and experience in complementary nutritional treatments that promote well-being and recovery. He significantly expanded his knowledge of complementary medicine by blending research, extensive training and clinical practice. The outcome has been the compilation of an extremely powerful repertoire of treatments and products. He has a special interest in complementary cancer and cellular health therapy and has become well known for his treatment and product innovations in the field of complementary medicine and also for his research-based verification of non-conventional treatments. As the medical director of a private clinic in Harley Street in London, he has become the UK's leading clinician involved with medical infrared thermal imaging and particularly its application as a non-invasive tool for early detection and monitoring of breast cancer. Much of his time is spent in research and his reputation is supported by numerous papers and scientific reviews on a wide range of topics related to integrated medicine. Hello, Dr. Eccles, and welcome. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. I'd like to go um, straight into our discussion, if I may. And um, I think the first point I'd like to raise as, as a woman is that I feel a radical change is needed, not just in breast cancer awareness, but in diagnosis. Is mammography, can't even get it right, is mammography still the equipment of choice to detect cancer cells? And does it detect cancer cells early enough? Certainly from my perspective, I find mammograms barbaric and archaic a piece of machinery that should be consigned to the recycle yard. What can you tell us? Um, well, the first thing to say is that we can't, I don't think we can throw mammography away. That's the first point to make. Um, it, it, has, it has a place, is the first thing to say. However, uh, we need to clarify uh, some reservations about this technology and perhaps I can start with that. So what I'm about to say is not in any way to, uh, uh, to say that this is a useless tool. It, it has a place, but uh, the listeners uh, need to understand that basically the use of mammography has not really led to any survival advantage in terms of breast cancer. In other words, the whole screening program has not improved survival rates. So yeah. we're, we're failing with it. We're not doing what we set out to do, which was to reverse or, or stop breast cancer, or at least reduce it. And the reason for this is because one of the problems with mammography is it can only detect a tumor when it's a certain size because some a, a tumor has to be physically big enough to block enough x-rays for it to appear mm. on the plate by by which time it's the size of a small grape now that actually yeah. represents about 500 million cancer cells at that stage the, okay. this is not this is not early detection and in fact mm. around between 60 and 70% of those that are detected by mammography are already starting to invade outside of the local that local space so mm. This is one of the problems. Is uh, the other the other uh, 
problem with mammography is is that it's only offered to women in the UK. It's only offered to women at age 50. Mm. So what about women who are younger? Um, uh, some of those, there's an increasing incidence of, of breast cancer in younger women. So they're yes. not offered any screening programs. Mm. Um, and, and the other issue is that once you do detect something, it, it's, it's reasonably late. So we yeah. have to, it, it has failings. Yes. And, so and if, in if order could... for us to change, yes. I was just going to say, if I could interject there, uh, you were talking about the number of cells. So is that what represents the lump that can be detected by self-analysis? Yeah, right. And so that, I, that is I, quite a large number of cells then, even at that stage. Yeah, a lump that mm. is about the size of a small olive or a small grape would be about 500 million cancer cells. Yeah, that's, that's huge, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so and, so on, it's late detection. It's late. It's what I'm saying is that one of the problems we have with mammography is that it's too late. You know, we, we have to be looking for uh, methods which, which detect a developing cancer much sooner than that if we're going to change the tide. The problem is we're not changing the tide with mammography. We need to look for an additional tool. Yes. And, and as you say, I picked up, um, uh, it's confirmed by some of the statistics I picked up, that the risk mm. of surviving is still the same as it was 50 years ago. Um, and yeah, that's quite that's a horrendous right. statistic, isn't it, really? Uh, uh, that combined with the fact that if you look at the incidence of breast cancer, it's risen by about 80% in right. the last 40 years. Yes. Um, in fact... Uh, it's it's the same for other cancers. Basically, if you look at all cancers, and I know we're talking specifically about breast, but I just want to put this in context. Mm. If you look at other cancers, the incidence of cancer in men in general, all cancers mm. in men, has increased by about 49% in the yes. last 40 years. And mm. women, it's about 41%. So that's all cancers. Uh, in, the, in that context, breast cancer has increased by 80%. Yes. Uh, in the last in the last 40 years so yes. we the the thing is we're not winning the war no no and do you think the nhs or the department of health is being a bit slow in recognizing that there are uh, alternative um pieces of equipment out there that could assist in early detection well to be honest yes i do mm -hmm. think so uh, and the way things are, unfortunately, in, in, in medicine in terms of the, the arrangement and the politics is that um, we are slow to act, particularly in this country. We've known about other technologies like thermal imaging, for example, mm -hmm. for over 30 years. Now, admittedly, the early technology is not as good as, as the digital infrared that's available now. Yeah. But still, in 1982... Look how long ago that is. The yes. FDA actually in America approved mm -hmm. thermal imaging mm -hmm. uh, to be used adjunctively alongside mammography yes. for detection of breast cancer. Now, how come if that mm. approval was given that long ago yes. that we don't see centers everywhere offering it? Yes, yes. It's so difficult it, to it, understand. You know, yeah, it is. And I, I even telephoned uh, my own um, local uh, uh, primary healthcare trust to ask the question: Could I go for thermal imaging? Would they support that? And the answer was no. We hardly had a conversation. I said, "Well, what if you pay your section for what would be the mammography?" 
and just top yeah. it up with the thermal imaging. If, if there is a difference, <laughs> I don't know the cost factors here, but no, no conversation. Yeah. Goodbye was the answer. So, uh, right. Um, it's I think a pity. It, it is a pity. So, it's so a what, pity and I was just saying, Sorry, what you're saying is that, um, as far as I can understand, thermal imaging could improve detection. So can you tell us a little more about thermal imaging and what's involved? Yeah, I mean, uh, thermal imaging it basically is like having a heat picture taken of the breasts. Mm. I mean, you can use it for other things as well, but we're talking about detection of breast cancer here. Yes. Um, we, we, it's, it's basically a heat sensor. It's, it's mm. The camera itself is an infrared detector. So the first point to make is nothing goes in. There is no radiation which goes in, into the body. It's yeah. really a heat detecting camera. So um, it, therefore, it's non-invasive, completely yes. non-invasive. You could have one every day. Mm. Uh, no contact is required. No compression of the breasts are required. It's just like having your picture taken. The whole process, which is now automated, with artificial uh, intelligence to do the interpretation side of it as well, which has increased mm. the sensitivity. Mm. The whole process takes about five minutes to do. It's really, it's really been honed now. Mm. And as I say, we now have digital infrared uh, uh, thermal imaging, which is sensitive to as little as 0 0.03 degrees centigrade. So <laughs> we can detect very, very small temperature changes. What we're really looking for um, is, is heat generated mm. by a developing cancer. And yes. if I may just explain this, yep. a cancer, when it's developing, there develops a, a new blood vessel uh, formation around itself to nurture itself, and we call that process angiogenesis. It affects about 86% of developing cancers. Mm. And that new circulation... Um, it creates heat, so that's one thing. Mm. In conjunction with the fact that cancer cells are much more highly active metabolically than normal cells, so that mm. increased activity, metabolic activity, also generates heat. Mm. So those two processes are what we are detecting when we're using infrared uh, technology. And, yes. of course, we see those, those changes much sooner than the small grape size which is seen first seen on a mammogram. mammogram so it does give us we think that from the studies a six to ten year earlier detection yes. advantage than something like uh, mammography yes and I'm, and I'm glad you touched on the time scale there because I don't think um, an awful lot of women really understand or appreciate that cancer cells take years to develop it's not something that happens overnight no, that's right. Yes. That's right. In fact, by the time, that's the, the other point to make there, mm. just to emphasize it, is by the time you detect a tumor on a mammogram, mm. if it's the size of a small grape, it's been there for six to ten years. Mm. The problem is it's not been felt. There's not yes. been any changes in the breast which have flagged up to the, to the woman uh, mm. that there may be a problem. Mm. So this is the thing, is we need to be going back in time and detecting those changes before they can even be felt in yes. the breast. That's what yes. we've got to try and achieve. Yes. Yeah, because you, you don't feel symptoms, do you? It's it's silent exactly. like so many of these cancers. Like so many cancers, exactly. Yeah. That That's one of the problems of detection is how do you pick something up mm. if you can't feel it, if there are no signs, if there's no pain associated, and often there isn't. 
um, it's one of the problems, as you rightly say, with a lot of cancers. Yes. And so um, how, how can women go about um, teaching themselves to look after themselves better and, um, and also asking their own doctor perhaps about thermal Im imagery? Can, perhaps we can start a revolution here with, with women <laughs> wanting the actual change rather yes. than waiting for the system. It, it seems to me if a whole group of people get together and do something, they can sometimes move mountains. Um, well, I think you're right on that. I think I, think I, I foresee that if a change is going to happen in the whole tide of breast cancer, it's got to come from women acting concertedly to create the changes because it isn't going to come quickly from the medical powers that be. And no. just being straight, and, and I think you're right, a revolution has to occur amongst women. And yeah. it's interesting you point that out because when I first appeared on this morning television in 2005, October, yeah. We, I went. I spoke for eight minutes about thermal imaging on live television, and the number of women who called us of their own volition, i.e., not talking to their doctors about it, yes. they decided to take matters in their own hand because they saw that there was a technology which might be useful to them. Yes. We were, we, we, we could not take the calls because yes. there were so many. Yeah. So it shows you that women are concerned. They want to do something. They want to be proactive. And yes. I think you're right. I think there does need to be a revolution uh, on this topic. Yes. Well, look, I can only uh, ask our listeners, all the women out there, and even the men join in, you know, let's uh, send out this information to all our own contacts to, to spread the word and see if we can get something moving on this. Um, I because, think that's a yeah, good start. Something's got to happen, hasn't it? Um, I think you're right. But you did mm -hmm. ask me a question which I didn't answer, which yes. is, I think, it's a sort of two-pronged question, because you did say, well, how can women, mm -hmm. apart from this technology, um, which is important because, mm -hmm. as we've already established, uh, the studies all show that it, it is earlier detection. Yeah. It could potentially increase the survival from breast cancer yes. if it's com even combined with mammography by 61%. That's what the study showed. Now, that's yeah. remarkable. Mm -hmm. And that would represent a significant change in, in, in the tide from where we're going at the minute. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, though, suppose you do detect something mm. which you can't feel by thermal image. Let's suppose a woman has an abnormal thermal image, yeah. uh, which, which is not diagnostic. It doesn't mean she has a cancer, but it means that we need to, we need to be vigilant yeah. and we need, to, we need to go into preventative action. What are some of the things that she can do? Yes. And, I, and if I may, just quickly um, say that, that it, you do not need to be a sitting duck. Mm. A woman does not, once she's had this earlier detection, and there is a problem there, she doesn't need to just be uh, passive. There mm. are things that she can do to reduce her risk, and they're very, very simple things. For example, if she drinks too much alcohol, she mm. can reduce her alcohol intake. If she's overweight, she can lose weight. If she smokes, she can stop smoking. If she's not eating enough fruit and vegetables, she can increase her fruit and vegetables. If she's using aluminium-containing deodorants, mm. she can stop and use something more natural. Now, all of these things, simple as they sound, can make a profound difference in her in her long-term progress. And we've mm. seen this in, in, in our clinic. If we find women who have abnormal thermal scans, mm. we advise them on what they can do in terms of making these lifestyle changes. Yes. We advise on the appropriate nutrients which are going to help 
the, the immune system mm-hmm. uh, go into a, a higher gear uh, and, and actually start to reverse any possible cancerous changes that there might be early on. And the outcome of doing all of that is that when we re-image them six months later uh, and then 12 months later, mm. we see abnormal thermal images becoming normal again. Yes. So here, yeah. we, here we, we see in reality how you can, you can take a woman who may be at higher risk and take her off that high risk uh, track completely yeah. so that mm. she becomes has normal breasts again now no surgery no no yeah. pharmaceuticals involved just simple things that w- women need to know how to reduce their risk yeah i was just going to say you mentioned surgery there so finding some abnormal cells doesn't necessarily not, doesn't necessarily mean that surgery needs to be the next step no because uh, suppose you have the scenario where you have an abnormal thermal image and then that woman goes and has a mammogram or an ultrasound or an MRI depending on her her age and what's appropriate. What happens, suppose it doesn't show anything structurally. In other words, nothing that you can stick a needle into to take some cells. Well, you're in a bit of a fix there because you've got an abnormal thermal image showing that the woman is at increased risk, Mm. but you haven't got a structural scan because maybe what we're seeing isn't big enough to see yet Mm -hmm. on a structural scan. So you have a predicament. What are you going to do? There is no surgery which is indicated. You may not be able to find a surgeon who will do a blind biopsy. In other Mm. words, stick a needle in in several areas where there seems to be a suspicion because that in itself is an invasive uh, attack on the breast, which may increase the risk or, or may yes. even, yeah. there's a lot of debate on this, may serve to spread uh, yeah. any cancer cells that there are there. So, mm. so it, it, the surgical option at that stage for, in this scenario is inappropriate. Um, and we need to be looking at, well, what else can be done which will truly reduce that woman's risk of developing cancer. Now, this this conversation we're having now is maybe the most pertinent part of this discussion mm-hmm. uh, that we're uh, as well because because at the end of the day if 80 if if breast cancer has increased 80 percent in the last 40 years mm-hmm. and we're not stemming the tide mm-hmm. we also not don't need to just detect earlier but we need to be proactive, proactive. in what yeah. we're doing Preventive to measures. stop cancers exactly. Mm. So this, these two arguments—the early detection and the mm. proactiveness and lifestyle measures that make a difference—need to go hand in hand. Yeah. Which is perhaps why medicine isn't so quick to embrace this technology. Because if we are detecting earlier, what is the solution that can be offered to women mm. if you can't? If there's nothing to biopsy, you see. Yeah. You see. So it, it, you yes. need to be thinking outside of the box yes. from a medical perspective. Mm. in order to look for ways which do work, which will actually stop cancer in its tracks. Yeah. And I'm saying, I, I believe from what I've seen over the last 10 years, that is entirely possible. Yes, yes. Everything, will, if you go to your GP, it becomes naturally medical-led, that they have to take some kind of medical action to, um, to, to help resolve Correct. the problem. And of course, we, as you say, we've got to extend our viewpoint now and, um, and look at other resources. And I was, just, I was just looking at the, the stats I've got in front of me as well. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at one particular one with 70% of women with breast cancer now over 50. That's my age group and probably age group yeah. of many of my listeners. And I'm looking yeah. at the, the other stats. And, of course, uh-huh. the, um, you're more susceptible to breast cancer the older you become. But it seems That's to me true. just thinking about it on... Um, 
the level of just being a woman, that we yeah. look at these stats and we say, well, I haven't hit that age group yet, so it's not actually going to happen to me. But uh, And so that's why I think we become involved. Uh, we become more susceptible to it and, and less able to to do something about it because we're actually waiting for that point for somebody to detect it in us. And they say, oh, dear, I'm a statistic yes. now. And, and and then it's too late. Yeah. That's the problem. And the the other thing pertinent to that argument you just presented, which is right, is that there is a false assumption that if you don't have a family history of yeah. breast cancer, that actually you're not at risk. This is wrong. Because if you look at the, the, the statistics of women who have breast cancer, and in the UK, it averages around 40,000 women every year. That's, mm -hmm. that, that's a one in nine incidence yes. amongst women of breast cancer, which is unacceptable. Yes. The thing is, of those women who have it, the percentage you actually have a family history of breast cancer is only about 8%. That's yes. 8 that means that 92% of women who have breast cancer mm. do not have that a family history of it. Yes. So in other words, it, it's a false security to think mm. that because you don't have a family history, that you cannot become a statistic. Yes, yeah. And also, it, it, my aunt had breast cancer when she was close to 80. And um, and I, I think the the general consensus among doctors is that uh, you know general practitioners that is is that well you've got to die of something so, but uh, but who wants to have a disease you know you want to die uh, you know i just want to well, die naturally in my sleep thank you very much yes yeah. well the thing i'm going to tell you something else now the the the, the label of cancer uh, this label it, it, with conventional thinking people think when they hear that word cancer it is a death sentence mm. now i i would say this what I know about cancer as a disease in general, and I've spent a lot of time researching it, is that that certainly, in my experience, is not the case. And that cancer it does not have to be a killer disease. There are things that can be done which, which, will, which can contain it. And, and, and I would be bold enough to say this, not just contain it, but even reverse it. Yes. And those things, those things are not necessarily, and, and in fact, more often than not, are not the sort of conventional uh, toxic therapy that is available now. They're, they're non-invasive therapies, which uh, many doctors are having success with. And, and so even if you have a cancer, it should not be a death sentence. There are things yes. that can be done. Yes, yes. My, my own theory is, is the, the awful diet that the majority of the population seem to be engaged in. And, and I was one of those as well with all the, the processed food and everything. Um, and yeah. it's very difficult to get off that track. But would you agree that, uh, that nutrition and, and diet can help keep us healthier longer? Well, I would say that's probably one of the most important things, actually, um, uh, from my own research. It's, it's very underestimated because people... Uh, people still think of nutrition as just fuel, yes. uh, you know, that we need to eat to give us energy, to give us protein. We're still mm. thinking uh, in, in those sorts of terms. And even dietitians, to be honest, are, are, are still thinking in those sorts of terms, yeah. you know, still recommending high sugar diets uh, to people with cancer is a, is a nonsense yes. because cancer cells feed off more than normal cells, high sugar diets. So why 
why aren't we at least giving advice to women with cancer that they should not have a, a lot of refined carbohydrate and sugar in their diets n with that knowledge? Yes. They, when, we, when we do PET scanning, uh, positron emission tomography, mm -hmm. it involves injecting radioactive glucose and the cells that appear black on the scan are the ones which take it up most avidly. They are, they are the cancer cells. So yes. knowing, knowing that, why aren't we advising women that they shouldn't be eating refined sugars if they yes. have a cancer situation? Simple things like that. But to go beyond that, what, what is even more interesting now is where we're at with this knowledge is that, is that a lot of the plant-based nutrients that uh, many of us are so deficient in because we don't mm -hmm. eat enough fruit and vegetables in our yeah. diet. Those plant-based nutrients seem to have the ability to reduce our risk of cancer, quite yes. significantly so, as much as 50% in, yes. in population. So you see now, it's a new dimension. What can you do if you, to reduce your risk? One mm -hmm. of the simple answers is flood your system with a broad range of plant-based nutrients. Mm. Yes. So nutrition, it, it's this whole thing now. I mean, I could talk about this for, <laughs> for probably about three days. Yes, yes. <laughs> but but it's, it's, it, what we're really saying is that there are certain plant nutrients which, and, and, and this is really cutting edge uh, information I'm giving you now, mm -hmm. but why not? We, we've yes. started, so might as well yes. finish. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, is, is, is that the ability of certain plant nutrients to actually alter the way that our genes behave. And our genes determine how our cells behave, how well our cells detox, how well our cells communicate, uh, when that cell should die, etc. It's all important. It's, it's this whole process of cell regulation. And what yes. is cancer? It's un unregulated cell growth. It's only yes. a normal cell has lost its regulatory control. Yeah. So here we find that a lot of these plant nutrients seem to keep cells regulated and behaving normally. Yeah. So one of, the, one of the biggest things we can do to reduce uh, uh, cancers in the long term, whether you have a family history or not, is to flood your system with a broad range of plant-based nutrients. Mm. That's very powerful, isn't it? It's uh, it, quite Extreme. a small thing to do, but it's a very powerful yes. result. And, and extremely powerful results. Mm. Uh, we've seen it ourselves in our own clinical experience when we do this. As I say, we see thermal images which are abnormal, becoming normal. Mm. Uh, and that's in conjunction with some of the lifestyle changes that I mentioned earlier. So uh, it's exciting because I believe yes. what we're seeing is we're seeing how we can turn the tide. Yes, yeah, and that's going to be, but that's going to be another hill to climb, isn't it? And we were trying to get uh, thermal imaging to be more widely recognised, but to change people's whole attitude to diet is is a whole mm. new new hill to climb, isn't it? But uh, it, it'll it take is, time, but, but we'll get there. It will. But if we want to make a difference mm. in the incidence of breast cancer, mm. this is where I believe the solution lies. Yes, that's brilliant. Well, I'll be putting the word out there then, Dr. Eccles. You've got no, no problems there. Um, I think we've covered pretty much everything about the, uh, the thermal imaging, what it can do and how it can detect breast cancer, as well as what women can do to improve their own lifestyles, to uh, reduce their, uh, the incidence of uh, the growth of, of bad mm -hmm. cancer cells. Um, so mm -hmm. I want to thank you so much for your time today and for elaborate, elaborating on these complicated issues of detecting breast cancer. 
Well, thank, I must thank you, uh, Catherine, yes. for being proactive in this because the fact that you, um, you, you approached me and wanted to do this interview and, and what you're trying to do in terms of you're creating the awareness amongst women of how they can be involved in instituting this change. I, I'd like to say thank you to you for your efforts in this because I think you're doing a sterling work. <laughs> thank you very much, yes. And for our listeners... Don't forget, ladies out there, let's start a revolution and get something moving in the health service um, for the benefit of our own health. And also, um, you'll find Dr. Eccles' contact information at the end of this transcript. And um, until next time, this is Catherine Colas signing off. Thank you and goodbye.